Podcast with James. And this is Lisa. Hi, this is James. I wanted to let you know that as well as these podcasts, we deliver at least one free online seminar every month that you're welcome to attend wherever you are in the world. You can learn more about them and register for them via our website, www.worldofwork.io. That's www.worldofwork.io. Hi, this is James. And this is Lisa. And here we are again with another episode of the World of Work podcast. So uh, you might have noticed that we've got Lisa with us today. Um, Jane and I had a chat earlier in the year and decided we're going to bring in some guest co-hosts. And Lisa is the first of our guest co-hosts. She's going to be co-hosting a few episodes over the coming weeks. So Lisa, would you like to say hi and introduce yourself to the listeners? Absolutely. James, thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, I'm a leadership coach. I'm a senior consultant in organizational development and a professional speaker. And I'm very interested in the changing face of leadership in organizations where we're moving from more a leader is at the top and uh, leading the group to more kind of collaborative uh, practices in the workplace. So I'm really thrilled to be part of this conversation. Yeah, great. Well, great to have you here. And um, of course, the two of us are going to be interviewing someone today. Could you say a little bit about who we're speaking to and what we're going to be speaking about? Yeah, we're so fortunate to have Lou Banks, who runs an organization called Rising Vibe. And the conversation today is going to be on emotions in the workplace with a bit of a focus on social pain. Oh, wow, that sounds kind of interesting. It's uh, I'm curious already. Um, why don't we jump into the conversation? So looking forward to it. Let's go. Okay, so here we are in the core of this podcast. We're lucky today to be speaking to Lou Banks from Rising Vibe, and we're going to be having a conversation about the importance of emotions in work, and we're going to drill into that a bit specifically to explore the concept of social pain and what that means in our lives and in work. Um, before we do that, though, Lou, would you be able to introduce yourself and say a bit about yourself and your background and your organization to the listeners? I would. So thanks very much for having me, first and foremost. Um, so I'm Lou, and... I am the founder of Rising Vibe. Um, Rising Vibe is a culture consultancy. And what we specialize in, I guess, is being very overt about emotion in business. And as part of the consultancy work around culture that we do, we really challenge and support our clients to create uh, an organizational culture that embraces emotion, that provides true emotional support. Um, and the reason I'm particularly passionate about that is, you know, I myself, for many years suffered with anxiety and I hid it. And I hid it really, really well. So I was what we call at Rising Vibe a functioning fakeaholic. So someone nice, yeah. who was was showing up, you know, at work, doing a good job, um, you know, getting promoted, all of you know, there was nothing on the outside that would suggest I wasn't feeling good. Um, yeah. but I ended up having such severe panic attacks at night time. You know, I'd be, I was almost afraid to go to bed. It got to that point yeah. more because it was, it was so uncomfortable or terrifying, actually. So that's when I, I, I reached out for some help and I started being more honest about it. And that's when I started getting better. Um, right. So I set up my first business in 2009 called Bolt From You, which was a you know an organizational development, people development business specializing in mindset. But I transitioned mm -hmm. to Rising Vibe in 2017 because I wanted to be completely out there about emotion because yeah. we, we don't we, we don't enough of that in business yeah and if you if 
if you think about you know the, the people that are out there in the workplace and things like that, how often do you think it is the case that somebody might be suffering from anxiety and, and keeping it hidden? What, what sort of sense do you have about it as a as a way of living for people? Well, so so I guess you know any of the one to one exec coaching um, clients that I have, every single one of them has got something going on. You know whether mm-hmm. it be anxiety um, or fear of um, having a conversation with someone in their team and putting yeah. a lot of shame around the fact they're struggling with that. Um, mm-hmm. everybody's got something going on and when we are with a group of delegates and I'm yep. sure you guys have experienced this yep. there is not one person when we start role modeling and going first and showing up and talking about this kind of thing there's not one person yeah. that doesn't actually connect to it on a spectrum yeah. you know some people go oh yeah. it so resonates other people yeah yeah I, I kind of get it I buy it there's nobody who doesn't connect to it so I think it's it's everywhere in my experience yeah, yeah. and I guess if we explore the role of those emotions in work or maybe carrying some of those um, less helpful emotions with you in the workplace, what kind of impact did you find it had on you as an individual? And what do you see in your clients? How does it affect their ability to perform and succeed and be fulfilled in work? Well, so we talk about, um, and uh, obviously we're going to talk about, but people can download this, they can visually see it. We talk about mm-hmm. high vibe and low vibe emotions. Okay. Um so your low vibe emotions, and on the scale, we have 22, 22 levels. So number one would be joy, euphoria, you know, the, the ultimate high vibe sure. feeling. And down in 22, yeah. depression, despair, shame. Uh, and there's a okay. whole, you know, range in between. But there are more low vibe than high vibe emotions. Um, how it showed up for me was um, because I was faking it in terms of how I was feeling so much in the workplace when I mm-hmm. was at home. And with with my friends and family, I just wasn't very nice to be around. You know, highly yeah. strong, very snappy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no yeah. patience, that kind of thing. Um, and I see that showing up with a lot of my clients in that way, or people completely withdrawing. So it depends. Sure. It depends on your default, really. I am a what I would call a you know the fight, flight, freeze. I am a fighter, so right. I'm more likely to go to a place of feeling um, resentful, angry, irritated, frustrated when I'm not feeling great. Other people might go more to a place of you know, worry, um, despair, helplessness, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So how how that shows up is a lot of people are quite afraid of some people they're working with because when they show up in that very overt low vibe place, um, yeah. it's really uncomfortable for people and people don't address it. And what we talk about is that kind of behavior, we absolutely should not tolerate it. We need to challenge it, but let's challenge it with compassion and care. Because yeah. when someone's coming at us, we rarely do that. <laughs> what we do yeah. is we yeah, yeah, yeah. match it. So it depends on, to answer your question, mm-hmm. it depends on your default, really. So sure. I will immediately go to angry, defensive, but when I'm in a really, really low vibe place, that's when I go to anxiety. Um, gotcha. Any behavior that, that demonstrates or shows up is demonstrated in a way that doesn't feel helpful would suggest someone is not feeling good. They're in a low vibe place. Yeah. And when you said uh, about addressing it with uh, compassion and, and trying to support people to correct those behaviors, I guess one of the points here is that a lot of those behaviors are the product of something else. So if you're in an organization, you might want to look to address some of the root causes. Is that is that kind of fair? Yeah. And I think um, the, the one the one question that we talk about all the time and we use a lot is if you are experiencing someone um who is is showing up in a way that doesn't feel particularly helpful. So either, you know, on the on the spectrum, completely withdrawing or coming at you, 
to yeah. ask them to notice it, to call it and say, this is what I'm noticing. What do you need right now? In, mm-hmm. in yeah, our the observable behavior. Yeah, is, is the most powerful thing you can do, actually. And someone who is in that very, you know, over angry, resentful, coming at you kind of place, that stops them in their tracks because that's not what they're expecting. Um, and, you know, someone who is in a place of withdrawal, anxiety, again, they might not respond to this, right? They might not even know what they need. Oh, but yeah. what you're doing is you're not trying to fix it because you can't, um, but you are, but you're, you're fronting into it in a way that's very kind and compassionate. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, we can't fix anybody. We can't make anyone feel better, but we can support them to get what it is that they need. And that is the, the best question in the world. If you've got that in your back pocket and bring that yeah. at any point, it really helps. Yeah. I've got one question I'd like to jump in with before maybe we explore a bit more of the um, the emotional side and, and the concept of social pain. And I know Lisa's got a range of questions as well. Um, my question may be a bit tangential. I know that um, bringing in something, I guess, from left field, but if you look at things like autism numbers in, in UK children, you see that there's a heavy skew towards uh, boys being autistic as opposed to women. And there's a view that actually a lot of young girls with autism are very good at masking their emotions and to some extent masking the condition um and i just wonder if there's any link in your view between gender and uh masking of emotions does that make sense as a question yeah it does it's a, it's a great question and it's a we could probably do about uh, it's a podcast series on this i think um right. so our, our our we have a sub brand of rising by which is calling out the men um okay and I, I don't i don't know if you, you knew that i've seen any of that but, no i didn't i didn't ever know yeah so calling out the men um is all about providing emotional support for men in business because mm-hmm. there is absolutely nothing out there for men in business. Um, you know, we know there's a lot of stuff out there now about your men's mental health. It's good to talk. It's okay to talk. You know, men not in a great space. We need to, you know, suicide, all of that stuff. But mm-hmm. when you, if you just did a very simple exa- um, experiment and Googled support for women in business, the list is endless. Yeah. Um, if you do exactly the same support for men in business, what, what comes up is how men should support women, um, right. which is fascinating because yeah. we're talking about the big issue out there, but actually in business and you know work is the second biggest trigger point for depression for men to relationship breakdown. There is absolutely yeah. nothing out there for them at all. So that part of the brand is all about, and we're being quite provocative deliberately, by the way, around yeah. you know true gender balance is supporting both men and women in every capacity. And of course, with recent events around Me Too and gender parity and all that stuff, I think it's become a little bit um, skewed, actually, in, in the wrong way. Going back to the do men and women mask it, um, it's interesting talking about autism versus mm-hmm. men and women emotionally showing up in business. I think men are brilliant at masking it in business. Um, right. Brilliant at it. Um, and it's causing them so many problems which is why we started that sub brand um okay the majority of men that i'm working with um well all of the men that i'm working with have got something going on at some level around the social pain stuff we're going to talk about um and many of them carry so much shame around the fact that they are struggling with something um have a lot of shame around um the fact they have some frustrations in terms of you know the fact that they are the breadwinner that they don't get to spend any time with their children, that when their wife had the baby, they had to come back to work and they didn't want to. Um, yeah. it, it's it's mind-blowing, by the way, um, which is why we started the sub-brands. So I think, you know, the 
I know you started with children, autism and girls and boys. Mm. When it comes to business, men are feeling like they have to uh, mask it, um, that be strong, I can cope, you know, the the shame around looking weak as a man. And by the way, this also shows up for some women, so I'm not saying it doesn't. It's huge. And if we don't start supporting that, we're going to continue to be in this, you know, this mental health huge epidemic it's, it's not going to get any better until we start supporting the men in a different way in our experience yeah. in our opinion yeah that's interesting that's a really good reflection on the gender piece and and i think it's interesting to reflect on men masking because of the uh stereotype or, or the you know the Im- imagined version of what male leader should be i guess harking back historically so it's good to try and change that um when you do your work and explore this with people the concept of emotional intelligence is often out there is that something that you think about how do you think emotional intelligence fits into this understanding of our emotions and and managing them and presenting them in the workplace um so i guess i mean emotional intelligence i i mean i don't know what you guys think but i think it's become a little bit of a i suppose it's a slightly outdated frame now in some ways Mm -hmm. but the way that we talk about it is um we use to describe emotional intelligence we use a, a very simple four box matrix um and in the top left box is self-awareness so that comes first right. self-awareness is is what emotional intelligence ultimately is all about and we talk about emotional intelligence at five levels so level okay. one zero which i mean in my career i think i've worked with a few people who have had zero emotional intelligence in terms of self-awareness not many but i think you know there are some of those people out there Level two is I'm aware of my behavior. Um, Level three is I'm aware of my behavior and I'm aware of the impact that has. But what we do is we really challenge the people we work with to to work to levels four and five, which is I'm aware of my behavior, the impact it has, and I care about that. Right. Um, And level five is getting underneath where that comes from. So so what is it that's driving this behavior? Because there's a lot lot of, you know, talk around self-awareness and yet I'm self-aware, but to what level are you self-aware? Um, because if you have uh, a level of self-awareness kind of at level five that we would talk about, what that means is you, t- you take responsibility for your contribution. You take responsibility for your response and reaction to something you don't blame from level five. Now, you can have a level five um, level of awareness and still get into blame, by the way, with human beings. depends what else is going on. But if you think about top left box is self-awareness, top right box is awareness of others. If I've got no self-awareness at all, my awareness of others is going to be very limited because yeah. actually, if it, you know, I'm just going to be in a, a place of what's going on for me, not even consider what might be going on with somebody else and even the impact I might be having on them. Bottom left is self-management. So, you know, am I able to manage my emotions, imagine, imagine, um, manage my behaviour? Um, if I've got no self-awareness, I won't. Uh, yeah. the no filter and we talked before we started this podcast about being real um authenticity which i yeah, think yeah. Is key. however there is sometimes a need to filter and use clean language to be more helpful of course um, yeah and of course if you've got very overt body language which by the way i have from a place of you know no self-awareness or when i'm feeling really emotionally charged people can feel it yeah. so uh, and then bottom right is relationship management so if i'm not aware of others and i am you know, not able to self-manage, my relationships aren't going to be great, mm-hmm. um, especially in business. So what we talk about is someone with no self-awareness 
um, and say I'm starting, you're my new boss, James, and I'll start working for you. And uh, Lisa and I are both in your team. And mm -hmm. I am at level one, two of self-awareness yeah. from a rising by perspective. And I don't think you are spending enough time with me or giving me what I need. From that place, I'm just likely to complain to Lisa about you. Anyone else who will listen, it's all your yeah. fault. James doesn't yeah, yeah, yeah. Point yet. I won't even be considering the impact, um, what might be going on for you. So, And when I'm around you, you're going to tell. You're going to be able to tell that there's something going on for me, but it's yeah. unlikely to tell you. So our relationship's not going to be great. But even if I just start to raise my self-awareness um, to, you know, getting into a level four, you know, caring about that, the impact that my behavior might be having, instead of saying, you know, to Lisa, it's all James's fault, I might say instead, I wonder what it is about James that is that is eliciting yes. these emotions in me, that's triggering this in me. What is it that's going on for me that means James is impacting me this way? Um, then I'll also consider, and I wonder what it might be like for James working with me, which immediately, yeah. even if I did nothing else, just by having that internal dialogue, the way I show up around you is going to feel different to you, um, mm -hmm. and our relationship will start to improve. So to answer your question, I, I said I like to go off on a tangent and ramble. Emotional intelligence, I think, is a bit of an outdated frame, but that's how we describe it. So we talk sure. about you've got to start with self-awareness. You've got to understand how you are responding why that might be and when it comes to emotional stuff you know what is it that's driving these emotions right now for me it, it's nobody else's fault this is all about me you know what is that about for me rather than blaming other people for why we feel the way we feel yeah and you know Lou as you were talking what occurred to me is um, you know, I've heard people over the course of my career say, you know, why do I end up with such lousy bosses all the time, right? Because it's not me who's <laughs> who has any influence on or, you know, my, my personal situation. But I think that speaks to like when people are looking for solutions outside of themselves, uh, it can be an indication that the self-awareness isn't quite where it would be or should be in order for people to have, uh, I guess, a, a healthier perspective on their contribution to the situations that they think are happening to them, as opposed to them being part of a system in which they're contributing by virtue of having their low self-awareness. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you can apply that to so many things, can't you? And, and, you know, I think over the years, you know, girlfriends of mine saying, I can't believe it, I've got another awful boyfriend. Um, and I, I always say when, when, it's a great saying, actually, um, what resists persists. Yes. Um, yeah, and I'm sure you've heard it. And when people have said, I can't believe it, I'm so unlucky. I've got you know other people in my team that are difficult to manage. And I've got another manager that's just really difficult to be managed by. And I say, there is a common denominator here. And it happens to be mm -hmm. you. So, you know, that bit about what, what's, what might, what's your part in this? What is your contribution? Because it might not be 50-50, but we all will have a contribution to an interactional situation we're in, whether we like it or not. Yeah. And, and you know, you're, you're also making me think about the role of language, because um, one of the things I did before we got on the call was I, um, I Googled uh, two terms. So <laughs> one of them I discovered doesn't exist. So uh, I Googled den mother, um, which uh, the definition is a protective and supportive role for a group. And I then thought, OK, so how would den father be defined and it doesn't actually exist as a term wow. um, and you know this brings me to you know what you said a bit earlier about uh, gender differences in the workplace and particularly around uh, the idea that we show up at work and we talk about you know performance performance management you know we're, we're but I think we actually need to think of the word performance in 
back to the idea of faking it, like so many of us show up at work and we literally perform, not just in our role, but we perform in what we think professional quote unquote behavior is that, you know, um, we need to, um, you know, focus on business. And, and I'd like you to comment a bit on some of the language that you hear people when they talk about work and being in the workplace, uh, particularly as it relates to emotion. What do you actually hear people talking about? In terms of, of, of how they describe emotionally what's going Yeah, on. how they describe, you know, because I mean, I'll give you an example. If I'm meeting with somebody to talk about, to catch up about work, Often they'll tell me what happens briefly, but most of the conversation is on how they're feeling about what's happening at work. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, and yet it's not encouraged as a rule in business. So I think about my daughter's just gone to secondary school this year. Um, and when she was at primary school, she would go into school and put her face, a picture of her face next to how she was feeling in the morning and after lunch. Right. And then, you know, she's gone to senior school, that's gone. You know, Charlie's at university now, no chance. You get into business, it's not encouraged at all. Yet we all we all feel, you know, we all feel. Some of us, we feel more intensely than others, but we all feel. Um, and the words that I hear a lot in business when people are talking about business, you know, stressed, overwhelmed, confused, um, irritated, frustrated, impatient. Um, but often what is really being felt is much heavier than that anxiety, fear. Um, and a really great example, I was, um, I think this is a great example. I was with a new client in January. And um, when we uh, contracted around the piece of work, it was about working with them as a, as a, as a team um, for the next nine months around some specific kind of areas of development as a team. And then some big changes have happened in the organisation since. So we were going to postpone it. But after some, well, they were going to postpone it. But after some conversations, we talked about this is actually a really great time to do it with a completely different context and frame around how do you, you know, learn to stay focused, motivated during this time of limbo and uncertainty. I mean, which is really relevant right now with the coronavirus. But and we use the scale, the rising vibrational scale to help people talk about, you know, so looking on the scale. So you've got words you can talk about in a very disassociated way, just looking at the document, um, how you're feeling about this. And. The first couple of people that went just talked about being frustrated. There was uh, 15 people in the group. And then because the first person and the second person talked about frustration, everybody started talking about frustration. Let me tell you, it was not frustration that I was feeling in that room. Um, energetically, whether you, you know, connect to that or not, it was not frustration, which actually is quite low level, low vibe emotion. Um, yeah. You could feel much heavier stuff. So I called it and I explained, you know, the role modeling piece it just takes one person to go first. Um, and I'm going to go first and say, I'm not in your situation right now. I have been in the past. But I don't feel frustration from, from the people that have been speaking. I feel something a lot heavier, a lot further down. And then one of the guys in the room, he said, okay, I'm going to say this. It's probably career limiting for me, which in itself, by the way, is really common, but just so fascinating. Yeah. I'm feeling really, really angry and really despairing and helpless right now. And then guess what happened? The whole conversation shifted and everybody talked about feeling that way. And, you know, the one rule, I don't do hierarchy. What I mean by that is I, in the work that I do, and actually throughout my career, I've always been this way, which is, which is clearly why I've ended up doing what I'm doing. 
it makes no difference to me how much money you paid, how long you've been in the job, what role you're in. I work with a human being. However, where I do think hierarchy is key is when it comes to going first. When, you know, something doesn't feel right or something's not working so well, as a leader, you've got to go first and start that conversation. In terms of role modeling this stuff, what we need Absolutely. are our leaders to go first and talk about how they are really feeling, which will uh, enable and create more psychological safety. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we all know in business, hierarchy gets in the way. It's absolutely key, by the way. When I said don't do hierarchy, I mean, in terms of the learning that we do, we need hierarchy for decision making accountability totally. But it gets in the way of this kind of work unless you have someone you know, the more senior guys in the business, guys and girls in the business who are role modeling this, you're never going to actually embed this kind of work. Yeah. And, you know, Lou, I think where we're, we're going here and, and this is the work that you do uh, and with great appreciation, I'm sure, around social pain, because there are costs to us as people in the workplace, as employees but um, we, this goes beyond the workplace. Like we spend so much time at work and if we're under the, I guess, under the influence, maybe that's not the best way to say it, but of leaders who are not role modeling uh, expression of emotion or creating the psychological safety for people to feel their emotion, people will feel pain in the workplace and you describe it as social pain. So describe or, or give us some words around what that looks like and um, and how does it relate even to physical pain? Because I imagine when you hear the studies of people who are struggling, the same areas of the brain light up in physical pain as they do in social pain. But take us through, you know, what actually happens for people uh, when they're feeling social pain. So um, social pain, I mean, it's a neuroscientific, um, it's neuroscientific evidence around this stuff. So it's been around for a very long time. And we're not talking about it in this way in business. We are, but but generally speaking, it's not been spoken about in this way. And the reason we started talking about it in this way is because of the, the evidence, which is really supportive for us and our business when we work with the people who are resisting this kind of work. People will say, this is just pink and fluffy. You're a leader. You've been paid a lot of money. Just get on with it. And, and by showing the evidence around social pain, which is, Feelings of isolation, rejection, exclusion, not feeling heard, lack of influence, all of those kind of things, um, which we experience in life. But in work, it is everywhere. So the anterior cingulate is the part of the brain that lights up when we are in physical pain. And the exact same part of the brain lights up when we are social pain. Right. Um, there's many there's many experiments, actually, that have um, shown this. But the one, um, it was called um, Cyberball. And what happened in this experiment was uh, a group of people who had never met were connected online. So never seen each other, never met each other, never interacted. So this just shows the parasocial pain that we feel it even when we don't know people because we're hardwired for connection. Mm. And everybody was, you know, had electrodes on their on their heads. I mean, I'm clearly not going to talk about exactly what they did scientifically. That's not my area of expertise. But they were measuring brain activity. And one by one... So if we were in the group and we were playing cyberball, which was basically playing catch online, one at a time, people were being disconnected from the group, but the group didn't know that person had been disconnected and the person didn't know they'd been disconnected. So no one could throw the ball to that person anymore and I couldn't receive the ball anymore. The anterior cingulate started lighting up with 
the feeling of rejection, exclusion from a group of people that we've never even met and not seen in a very short period of time. Incredible. So if you imagine, you know, and there's some stories, you know, a metaphor example of elderly couples who have been married, you know, 50, 60 years and one of them passes away and then very soon after the other passes away and hadn't even been unwell. That is, you know, extreme social pain. The more significant the individual or individuals, your tribe is in your life, the more intense the lighting of that part of the brain, the longer the light will be on for. And we all know, even if we don't like people that we work with, if they are significant in our career or in our projects, um, they are important in terms of connection. And so there are many people in constant chronic, you know, constant chronic, same word, in chronic social pain in business. And anyone who's been in any chronic physical pain, it's exhausting. And that is what's going on right now. Um, and the other bit that is actually really quite scary is we also um, feel social pain before social pain in reality actually happens because we are always anticipating social threat. So we're always um, looking for the chance of being rejected, being judged, that kind of thing. So this is an example, I think, why public speaking for people is so difficult because the fear of being judged, the fear of failing and being rejected, not doing a good job, all of that kind of thing. We feel that before we even stand up in front of a group or stand on stage. If we've got to go and have a conversation with somebody in the business, you know, and we know this comes up time and time again as problems for our client, which is completely underpinned with social pain, which is giving feedback and receiving feedback. You know, we all know that's huge. The, the social threat of getting it wrong and being rejected, making it worse, the relationship really, you know, being impacted um, in a negative way is so big for most people, they just won't have a conversation. Yeah. Um, so it also impacts, so when we're in physical pain, the immune system will kick in, inflammation in the body, cortisol, all of that stuff, exactly the same thing happens with social pain, exactly the same. And the challenge is when we heal from uh, physical pain, the anterior cingulate will, you know, it, it, the light will go out, it's, it's gone. With social pain, it doesn't, it hangs around. Um, as part of the, you know, self-preservation, that was really painful. You need to watch out for that again. So mm -hmm. it's, it is so important that we, we use this, which we are doing because it is helping us to challenge when I call them skeptics, you know, people are skeptical and resistant because a lot of that comes from fear. Actually, um, mm -hmm. I'm resisting cause I'm just not comfortable with it. The, the evidence around this stuff is really helping us access some of the um, people in business that we really need to access, especially some of, you know, the, the older school senior, you know, people in business who need to really connect this stuff to be able to role model it. The evidence is really helping us with them because this is very new, but we've got some, some hard facts, which really helps us. So I've got two questions. I'll jump in with there. Um, both basically the same question in different ways with this knowledge in mind, how can people, uh, use it to change either the way they lead their teams or if they're individuals in work change uh, their working ways in such a way that it'll help them uh, improve their well-being from a social pain perspective is there anything you can do as an individual and is there anything you can do as a leader yeah there is and I I, I guess and I don't think he's gonna ask the question because it's just taking me to a um, it's just taking me somewhere else it's coming up a lot at the moment um, mm -hmm. which is unless we believe there's a problem to solve or there's a problem that needs solving, we won't engage with it. So, you know, that's why a lot of learning, and you, you guys will know this, a lot of learning 
that happens in business, a lot of change that is you know driven in business doesn't actually happen because the people that are in that are in the learning environment that we're wanting to learn and and be different and take on new you know new skills, new knowledge, new ways of thinking, don't think there's a problem to be solved by doing it. Yeah. And so with the social pain stuff and, and all the problems in business, the, all the classic problems you'd hear, you know, they're not resilient enough, they don't communicate, um, there's yeah. a change, silo working, all of that, that's all couched in social pain. Um, and I guess to answer your question, the role that all of us have, which can feel very uncomfortable, is to go first. Because if we don't talk about how this is impacting really and we are continuing to be functioning fakeaholics, no one is going to see there's a real problem to solve. You know, we've got the absenteeism stats, the presenteeism stats, the leaveism stats, the exit interview information, you know, the work-related stress research, all of that cites social pain. I mean, yeah. it's, it's out there, it's in our faces, but organisations, some are, but organisations are still not doing enough to address this stuff, which is basically genuinely connecting with someone in terms of how are they feeling not just yeah. what are they doing yeah and you know when you were talking through the list of impacts there you're you're very much focused on human impacts which i as i as i believe you do hold uh, very high on the list of priorities but i guess more mercenary is it fair to say that this is probably related to things like productivity and contribution in the workplace as well 100 percent, absolutely you know i if i think about me um in that place that I was when, you know, I was doing well, but um, I was feeling wretched, basically. Imagine how I could have done. <laughs> Imagine how productive I could have been, you know, if I'd have been able to, at that time, felt able to talk about where I was at and get some support. Um, when you're not feeling good, you can't be at your best. We all know. Just when we're tired, you know, just when you're tired, um, because you haven't had enough sleep, we're not productive enough. So imagine if you've got constant unhelpful thinking happening, which means you are stuck in a low vibe place because you are not feeling safe. You know, the whole psychological safety thing is huge and it's, it's the antidote, right, to social pain. Um, if I don't feel able to show up as me, um, then I'm just going to be in so much pain. Um, and that is not going to help me be productively effective, be my best. No way am I going to be my best if I'm in that space, which is why the, the, the stats around absenteeism and presenteeism especially leavers and people taking holiday to catch up on their work because they're too afraid yeah. to say i'm struggling um and it's not getting better you know we're talking yeah. about it but it is good to talk i'm all over the, i'm all over the talking stuff but what what needs to happen action wise we need to start taking action and that is simply and it is simple but it feels uncomfortable for people genuinely having conversations around so how are you feeling as well as holding people to account around what they're delivering on? Because we work with a lot of um, a lot of our clients in their organisations. It comes up time and time again, people who are not performing. Um, but once once upon a time they were, you know, to lose competency and capability is quite unusual. But when we're not feeling great, we won't be as capable and competent as we can be. So we do a lot of work around, OK, so they're not performing right now. Have you spoken to them about what's also going on for them? Um, and I think a lot of people shy away from that because um, they're worried about where might this go? So we always talk about the question around what do you need is all you need to have in your back pocket, really. 
Um, but also, I think there's a misconception out there that when you're actually checking in around how someone feels, you're not holding to account. You can do both. You can absolutely do both. You can talk around, you know, clear expectations. This is what we need. This is what we expect. This is the capability. And talk about how they're feeling, what's their confidence levels like. You can do both hand in hand. We talk about um, having a, you know, a business-focused humanitarian approach. You know, just caring about somebody and not holding into account, you know, oh, I know they're having a bad time at home. They're, you know, they've got some issues and they're not performing. They're not delivering. But we're just going to ignore that. That's not helpful. And actually, it's not kind. Just yeah, and it's not treating them as adults either. To some no, extent. You absolutely. need to have that adult, adult relationship, yeah. don't you? But also just yeah. going drive, drive, drive results, KPIs, deliverables, and not actually checking in around how someone's feeling is also unhelpful. So for me, it's simply doing the two together. And most people, most of us need some kind of framework to use to have that conversation. Yeah. Because otherwise, of course, we can all have a conversation. And we hear people say all the time, you just need to go and talk to them. But they don't just go and talk to them because they don't know how to start, where to go with it. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's scary. It. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what, Lou? I, I'm afraid I'm going to draw us to an end here because we're um, we're running out of time. But it's been really interesting. And, and my guess is that um, you've got some great tools online that might help people with this as well. Could you say a little bit about how people could find out more and get in touch and, and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. So I've uh, mentioned the rising vibrational scale a couple of times. Um when we've been talking on the podcast and if you go to our website www.rising-vibe.com and go to the rising vibrational page uh rising vibrational scale page you can download a copy of the scale from there and it is a really simple tool i mean you can use it in you know in a lot of different ways but as a very basic way of using it to have it as a framework to use with people just to keep showing up with it in terms of where are you on the scale right now in context of this or just generally is a really simple way to support a much more inclusive and supportive environment. And it really does start to build trust and connection if you keep showing up with it. You know, just sitting down with one one time with a person saying, where are you on the scale? And then, oh, they didn't really tell me, never going back there. You have to keep showing up with it. But you can download that on our scale. And, you know, we're on LinkedIn. We've got a page on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Twitter, Instagram. We're always sharing you know, content around this stuff. So if you follow us, you can get plenty of it from there too. That sounds really good. Um, when in the past I've sort of trained teams in doing daily huddles, we have daily check-ins on mood and it feels like the, the scale would potentially be really good as a little checkpoint within a huddle if you had a team that was fairly progressed in terms of its um, ability to address this stuff. Absolutely. And I, and I guess um, the, the, one, the one point that keeps coming up is, some people will say, uh, well, if I, they're just going to laugh at me if I use this or they won't like it. Actually, it's because the person who is um, going to role model this stuff is uncomfortable with it. <laughs> and I, yeah, and I say, you haven't tried it yet. How do you know? What is this yeah, really yeah. about? You know, going back yeah. to self-awareness again. Yeah. 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 Great. All right. Well, it's just time to say thank you very much. I thought that was excellent. Um, some great stuff in there. So many thanks from me. And many thanks from me, Lou. Learned so much from you. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I've loved it. Great. So you're back in the room with us. That was our conversation with Lou from Rising Vibe. I thought that was excellent. I had a really great time uh, listening to some of the things she had to say. She had really great range of things to say in there as well. Um, what were your thoughts, Lisa? Yeah, I uh, again, I learned so much in the conversation. And one of the things that I loved that she brought up 
was really looking at the neurobiochemistry of the brain uh, when we're in situations where we're feeling social pain. And I also really appreciated when she shared her four box model as an OD practitioner. I just love four box models because they really help demystify. Yeah. Uh, so when you have on the one end, the self-management, the low and the high, and then the other one, the uh, self-awareness, the low and the high. And ultimately where we want to be is high self-awareness uh, and also high self-management. And I, I, I think that the thing I appreciated the most about how she demystified this for me is that we're really always at a point of choice in how we show up in the workplace and that all of us have a role to play in creating workplaces that are healthier in terms of our emotions, in terms of how we express them and how we make space for other people to be their full selves. I, I really enjoyed uh, being able to dig into that. Yeah, there's some great stuff in there. And, and you know, when we were speaking, we talked about the fact that everybody to some extent has some influence on the world around them. And I think you used the word systemic or system. And, you know, we all are part of a system that we're in, be it uh, in the wider world or in the workplace. And we all, I guess, have both accountability for how we act and obligation to act in a way that's supportive of others, but also with that opportunity to make a difference. So I think there's some great stuff in there. Um, I really like the concept of social pain. And, and for me, some of the takeaways were really about the, the fact that we do influence others around us and, and some of her points around learning about this and opening up the language and giving permission to people to speak about their emotions. And the fact that if you do that, people probably or almost certainly have emotions under there that they'd like to share and express and address. So I thought there was some great stuff in there. Yeah, I agree. Because we, we do so much either faking it or social masking about what's really going on. And of great interest to me is there's sort of a, a push in the workplace that I've noticed in the last maybe couple of years where I hear language of bring your best self to work or bring your full yeah. self to work. But I don't know that we've created the conditions or, you know, to use the term psychological safety, where you can, in fact, express disappointment anger, yeah. frustration, and appropriately, I'm not saying, you know, we, we need to be throwing things around the room out, yes, of a, yes, yes. out of a sense of rage. That's not at all what I'm talking about. But that if organizations truly want people to bring the best of themselves and make a really solid contribution and their full self, their creativity, that there needs to be an expanded container for everything that makes us human, including our feelings. Absolutely. I mean, we're complex, messy beings. We need to bring all of that with us. And have permission for those things to, to come out. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, that is the end of another uh, podcast. So I guess it's just time for us to check out. Um, we'll be back again next week with another episode. Hope you've enjoyed this one. So it is goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Thank you for joining us. Hi. Thanks for listening to this episode of the World of Work podcast. To learn more about what we do, please check out our website, www.worldofwork.io, where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver, or even support us if you wish through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you.